0: You failed at something. Did this happen for me or did this happen to me? You want to be a warrior? You want to be Billy Bad? You go help people that can't help themselves. You help people that everybody else is making. You step up there and tell them not on my shit. You go tell this school, you tell this campus nobody's picking on anybody in this place.
1: Welcome to the next episode of What's Next with Eric Wood. Our next guest is Greg Taylor. Greg has 32 years of experience as a business leader. He has owned his own business, served as an executive in multi-million dollar companies and consulted with businesses, athletes, men and women to help them find their winning edge in business and in life. He is now a certified coach working with many individuals that are business leaders, coaches and athletes as well as an accomplished public speaker. He is also a strong Christian, former Division I football player. He has two sons that played college football, one of which still plays for the San Francisco 49ers. He married way over his head in his wife, Mickey, who is a former Miss Fitness USA contestant. You will learn a ton from Greg, as I have in my time knowing him. Enjoy this podcast. Greg, thanks for your time today. Thanks for coming on the show. Eric, I am very... Grateful to be here
0: today, so I'm overwhelmed and I'm excited to have a great discussion today to see if we can help people take another step.
1: Absolutely. Let's start off where we do with most guests. Tell me about where you grew up and sports you played growing up. Tell me a little bit about your childhood.
0: Uh, I was born in Harlan County, Kentucky. Uh, my mom and dad were raised in a coal mining camp called Black Star, which I lived there till I was three years old. Then my dad started a football program at Montgomery County High School, which is uh, in Mount Sterling, Kentucky, outside of Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, make a long story short, we ended up at Corbin High School, and where I won a, a state championship in football in 1980 as a junior. Uh, then Western Kentucky came calling and offered me a scholarship to play football there in Bowling Green. I played at Western from 82 to 85, went as a running back, and played some running back my freshman year. Then they moved me to strong safety. Then... They finally figured out that I can't play uh, pass defense worth of crap. So they said, but you can get after that football, so we're going to put you at an outside linebacker. So I found my home at an at a, at a, at a outside linebacker for the Hilltoppers in 1982 through 85.
1: And you were saying your biggest strength was your size, right? Yeah, my Which, size. <laughs> yeah, but but not in a traditional sense.
0: No, that's right, because I'm 5'8 and 3 quarters playing an outside linebacker. And probably one of the most motivating uh, – At a boys that was given by Steve Shankwaller, a coach at Western, we saw each other like two or three years later, and he said, Greg, I just want to let you know you had no business playing at the level you played at based on your size and speed ratio, but your heart and your desire made up for all that. I was like, wow, nobody ever told me that. So, very thankful for that.
1: And isn't it funny how a well-timed compliment can stay with you for so long, especially from a man you respect like that?
0: Oh, well – that's what we all need to understand as as a, as a people that we're trying to help each other. And the greatest thing that we can give to each other every day is a free gift. It costs us nothing. It's just a word of encouragement. Mm. And it you just don't know what every individual is going through that day. You don't know what happened last night or this morning. So a word of encouragement, extenuating something positive about their life, could get them over a hurdle to help somebody else.
1: So. You're right. I, I received a compliment from uh, my head coach and. In- college for my first three years, Bobby Petrino, I had broke my leg in Jacksonville, my rookie year, still in the hospital, get a phone call from him, and said he said, Eric, I just want to let you know you're the toughest guy I ever coached. I know you'll come back from this. He also offered to, you know, put me up. He was at Arkansas at the time, put me up, allowed me to rehab with my old trainer who was down with him at Arkansas. Um, And I heard all of that, but at the very beginning when he said, you're the toughest player I've ever coached, Bobby Petrino doesn't give out a lot of compliments, no free ones either. So, I mean, that stuck with me. That was in 2009. He told me that. and It's it's crazy how a well-timed compliment can just truly stay with you.
0: Words are powerful. So, words of life, anytime that someone's struggling, if you can pump life into them by the words you use and connect to their spirit and their heart to get them over the the, the battle hill. So, it's powerful.
1: Definitely. So, you graduate college, graduate from Western.
0: Got a degree in finance, uh, didn't know what I wanted to do, so I was in that reinvent. Greg Taylor. I remember my last game playing at Western Kentucky. I sat at my locker and cried for 30 minutes, because mm. my whole life was about playing in the NFL, so I didn't make that dream. So that day we beat Murray State 27 to 25 in 1985. I sat there at my locker going, who am I? Because I had no idea what, what do I do now. Right. And I was totally lost.
1: Yeah, and so many people can relate to that that are listening, whether it's from sports, whether that was at the high school level, college level, pro level, or whether that's business. You know, that, that period of transition is, is tough.
0: It is, it is very tough, So, which I wasn't a good student. So, And I met this young lady, which is my wife of 32 years now, Mickey. her name was Mickey Cunningham. So her, her dad was a general in the Army, and I went, hmm. I've got to get an education here if I'm going to go ask the general for this uh, young lady's hand in marriage. So, so I just started going to class. I said, "There's a new idea. I said, right. so, so and what did I, I don't know if I consciously did this or unconsciously did this, but I just said, "What made you successful over here in sports?" I showed up. I worked harder than everybody. I listened to the coach. I did extra reps. So I said, "Well, let's go to class. Let's get a pen, take a note, pay attention, sit in the front seat. Let this be everything that you're about. And I went from making a 1.2 to making the dean's list. Wow. So you think my mom and dad passed out when, once I got the letter that I made the dean's list? They, they were like, we told you. Well, you could do it. Right. <laughs> it just it wasn't important to me. Right. But it became important to me because I had to find a new identity.
1: Yeah, so what career path did you go into first upon that uh, finance degree? Well,
0: I had a a brother-in-law working for a transportation company, and their home office was in Cookville, Tennessee. And I started out as a leadership trainee. And after about six months of training there, I moved into a pricing analyst role. So I I love math. I'm good at math and organization and being analytical. So
1: So how did you get from that point there to doing uh, personal coaching, life coaching like you're doing now?
0: Woo, that's a long, that's a 32-year grind. <laughs> yeah. So the place I went to, I called them my second family. And probably the biggest, two, two big things they taught me there was total quality management, basically how to manage processes, and performance behavior. And so they taught me the ABCs of behavior, antecedent behavior consequence. And knowing how to manage people, you have to understand the ABCs of behavior, and you got to know how to manage a process and make it better. So I said, "Well, heck, I can do this myself." So they, they did such a good job training me that I became so confident I can start my own business. So make a long story short, I moved back to Corbin, Kentucky, and started my own transportation business. So we did that for like six years, six seven years. So we went from zero to twenty million dollars in sales in about five period of time. So wow, yeah, that's called oh, it's what what's called undercapitalized overgrowth, too much growth for not you don't have the capital to do that. So, and all my financial advisors were telling me, Greg, you can't grow this fast based upon your your your, your capital you have. I said, well, I'm doing it. Right. So, well, that didn't work out for me then. Uh, a company came in, took over my assets, and gave me a job as a vice president of uh, operations down in Shreveport, Louisiana. So, that's how my sons got down to uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, to play for the Evangel Eagles, which that's a part of my journey, even though, you, f- you failed at something. Did this happen for me, or did this happen to me? Well, I chose for it to happen for me. So when we told our sons that we were going to move 820 miles away from their family.
1: And how old were they at the time? They
0: were five, six and seven years old. And we were living in Corbin. We They're all their cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents all live. And we're going to move 820 miles away, and we're going to do that based on one scripture, Romans 8, for we know that all things work for the good for those who love God if it's according to his purpose. So, And we, we told them that, which they described. They didn't understand all that at right. that point in time. But for that 10-year period we lived there, we kept letting them know, we moved down here because God's got a plan for us. Even though it didn't work out in Corbin, it's going to work out at some point. Right. We just got to stay faithful. And that's when I grabbed a hold of my favorite scripture, which is Galatians 6-9. Don't grow weary, G.T., And doing the right things because in due season, you're going to get your trophy. Right. You're going to get what I want for you in due season. So you keep doing the right thing day in and day out.
1: That's great stuff. So then you go down to Shreveport. Now, I'm I'm interested in how you get from the business sector into what you're doing now just because, uh, you know, what what you're doing now in personal coaching, I'm sure that is so fulfilling, helping people – fulfill their wildest dreams but what led you to the point where you felt like okay greg taylor's got to make a switch into something else
0: i'll probably have to give all the credit to reading the book halftime i heard one i think it was was it the pastor talking about halftime bob burford bob russell bob russell yeah he was talking about that book halftime so my pastor gave it to me he said you need to read this book because it's a book going how do you take yourself from success to significance so when I read that book, it told me I found who I was. I found why God created me. I found what these fingerprints are for. Because I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. That's not who God created me to be. God created me to coach people, love people, and solve problems. And I can do that anywhere. But being in the coaching business, you know, that's what I get to do every day. How can I make a difference in somebody's life? And God's given me the ability to discern if I can just get them to trust me and they can talk to me, then I can help direct them to what God's created for them.
1: That's great stuff. When you meet someone now that wants to be coached, when they find your work, when they stumble upon your work, when you, when they reach out to you, where do you start with them in, in taking them further than they could go on their own accord?
0: Uh, we start off with, a, as I call it my winning edge assessment. It just talks about where are you, where are you from, tell me about your parents, tell me about your past experiences, tell me about your education, tell me about your good and the bad and the ugly. Because that's part of me being inspirational. i got to inspire them to tell me those things. Right. Because I tell them, said, the less I know, the less I can help you. But the more you give me, the more I can help you. So once they connect to that and see that I'm a very confidential person, you can ask my wife that because I don't tell her anything. What. (laughs) today go good yeah where'd you go I don't know I didn't go anywhere (laughs) right she said I thought you were going out of town I go I don't know where I went
1: (laughs) that's funny. so
0: once they feel that confidence that they can tell you things because everything's everybody's got things bottled up it's sort of like a ship it's got cargo in it that ship doesn't go to a hostile harbor to unload that ship goes to a safe harbor and the same thing with a person, if you're trying to help them, you've got to give them a safe harbor to come into, and they will unload their their cargo on you, or whatever that may be. Then, being a child of God, being inspired to help people, which we're all created to do, then you can put some good stuff into it.
1: Good deal. Well, I'm I'm going to try and pull some free lessons uh, for the listeners out of you uh, to benefit everybody listening. And um, something in my life that I, I feel like I struggle with at times is I'm busy, but I don't feel like I'm that productive. You know, I'll, I'll look back at a day and I really didn't even sit. I never sat down and watched TV. I didn't sit around and read a book for enjoyment. But I, but but I might not find myself being productive. What do you tell people in a in a time like that? Do you have them assess their time, write it out? What What are you thinking?
0: Well, first of all, I'll say sounds like you're human. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, we're always looking for it. I call it you got to get a dub today, as my wife says. i got to get a W today somehow, some way. So I have a little class called Time Management Course. And uh, one of my mentors gave me this while I was working at uh, Averitt Express in Cookville, Tennessee. It's write down every 15 minutes what you're doing. He said, every f- just get you a piece of paper, put in 15-minute lines, write down what you were doing. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you can look at that. And analyze that and go, do I need to be doing that? Yes or no? If yes, okay. If it's no, can I delegate that to someone? Or can I train someone that I can delegate that to? Then you add up all that time that you can save if you can get those things delegated to someone or train someone how to do that. Because we need to be focused on the things that we need to be spending our time on that nobody else can do. So th- there's a balance and everybody's got different cir- circumstances, but, but that's the overall
1: I like that one. I like the fifteen minute increments yep. because I bet a lot of people look at their calendar and at minimum half hour increments, probably hour, you know. But there's, you know, there's a lot of times there's wasted time within that hour, right. and uh, you know, for me personally, um, that that will benefit me. I know it will. Well, my boss told me, said, so "Greg, what time are you
0: spending being a leader, and what time are you spending being a player?" and he he took he said I'll give you 2 weeks to answer that. Yeah. <laughs> and I I went back and did a self-assessment of myself and I went, "Wow, I'm spending probably 90% playing and 10% leading." He said, "Well, you can't grow your people on that. You have to flip that." And and God works in mysterious ways. I know I had a mother at home praying for me because the next day another mentor came up and gave me that exercise to do. Wow. I was like, "Did did my boss call you?" <laughs> He's like, no. I went okay. So I did that process over probably a year's time. I flipped that number where I was spending ninety percent of my time leading and managing people instead of
1: doing the work. That's great stuff. Uh, you just mentioned leading. What when you look at leaders? I know you you work with many leaders in different professions. Um, when you when you talk to them, what what advice do you give them for developing leadership qualities? And what are just you personally? What are your top leadership qualities you look for? um in leaders in your life or people you've been around well
0: that's a great question let me my, i'm sorting through my file right now right my little fun, my little thing on my cell phone's going around and around right now yeah uh t- to me i got to be able to trust them mm-hmm. and to me the trust is the number one motivator per Stephen Stephen covey in his book seven habits of highly effective people so i have to trust them and really to the way that i would trust someone do they see the value that i have do can they see into me the good stuff or do they just see the bad stuff because that's probably the biggest way that you can get someone to trust you is is speak words of life into them and see the good stuff about them and tell them all the good stuff they have then they'll probably be willing to listen to what some of the bad stuff it is but that's that's a timing issue there so my, my son just moved I, i'll tell this story my son just moved to uh Nashville Tennessee my oldest son and uh, from uh, Monticello Arkansas so he had two job offers and I said well how are you going to figure out which one's the best one for you he said I want to go to the one that's going to inspire me to be great wow I went go <laughs> so I, I probably teared up a little bit to be honest with yeah. you yeah because you spend so t- much time on your kids and you want the, what's best for them and you really you want them to think the right way and when he was thinking that way well I just started crying We – yeah. He – I want – listen to what he said. He said, I want the leader that knows how to get the most out of me. Because he knows he needs structure. He needs accountability. He needs a good swift kick in the butt every once in a while. Because that's what makes him great. Because in high school and college, when he had those type of coaches, he's he excelled off the chart based upon his potential. Because he knows what makes Trey Taylor move. So.
1: Man, that's good stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I – I got the opportunity to speak to University of Louisville's coaching staff, and I won't, I won't take the credit for Scott Satterfield winning ACC Coach of the Year this year in his first year. But one of the things I, I told them as well is, you know, it's your role as a coach to be demanding of these guys and get the most out of them. And when I look back, there were times when I really liked a coach that let me be comfortable. But when I assessed my career from high school, college, to NFL, it was the guys – that truly pushed me and took me out of my comfort zone and out of technique comfort zones hey I, you know i've always done it like this well i'm going to keep doing it no this this will benefit you and then you you get past that uncomfortableness of trying something new right. and, and it takes you to a new level and i told them i said you know, you know you're nowadays you have to build a trust with young guys especially That's right. You know, they, they don't necessarily respond to the hard no's all the time, but I said it is your responsibility to push them further than they want to go or else what's the point of you being there?
0: That's exactly right. Because my favorite definition of a leader, uh, I read my first book when I was 23 years old, sad to say, but, but once I figured out that I can learn, then I could read and I could comprehend, <laughs> then I can apply that knowledge and my life gets better. Well, I've probably read over 250 books since then. And so that's my legacy that I'll be giving to my kids: is knowledge is power, and education is priceless when it's connected to action. Because I'm building a library for my kids, and it's just all kinds of books. So, walk uh, was it walk walk the talk? I think that Mr. Novak was talking about. So yeah. I've already ordered that and got that one. Then the forty eight principle I just ordered that one this morning.
1: Yeah, the forty eight principle from Rob Vacca's oh, podcast yeah, yeah. that was incredible. I actually just uh, completed the. Um, personal mission statement um, survey. They give you a, a workshop with that book, right. uh, some worksheets, and you fill it out and it helps you craft your personal mission statement, which I've enjoyed. And depending on when this uh, airs, my, my men's group at church that I lead, they're all going to get the worksheets in the 4 Eight principle book because to me, I mean, what a way to start the new year is, hey, this is my personal mission statement. This is what I'm going to live to. And to keep referencing other podcast you know with junior Bridgman coming on here i asked him how do you keep such a great reputation you know he's in the, he's been in the public spotlight since he was probably 16 years old playing on the one of the best high school basketball teams of all time in in indiana where where high school basketball is king mm-hmm. and he said you know i just have these guidelines and as long as i stay within these guidelines then i know i'm never going to embarrass my family i won't embarrass myself and and i was joking with a buddy of mine i said my guidelines might be a touch wider than junior Bridgman's, but you know, as long as I stay within those guidelines, heck it's my goal. I think junior is in his mid sixties. If I can have the reputation that junior Bridgman has, um, around this town and around this country, when I'm 65 years old, you know, that would be as good as gold in my book. So those guidelines. And, um, so living to my own personal mission statement daily will keep me in those guidelines and remind myself of that. And, um, you you mentioned now you're up to 250 books what book did you start with
0: oh uh, probably the probably the biggest book that impacted me was believe and achieve because my whole life i dreamed about playing in the nfl my dad was a high school football coach so i was in his hip pocket from 3 years old to 9 years old on the practice field running the drills with the players so and uh, i knew i could play football very good I didn't know about the other parts of life, being a dad, being a husband, uh, being, a, being a leader, being a business person. So Believe and Achieve has got like 17 Principles of Success, written by W. Clement Stone. That's a, to me, it's a must-read. Actually, my second book that I read was like Winning Edge, which Winning Edge is the name of my company, which is written by Dennis Whateley. So that was a pretty powerful book, too. It's when I learned about self-visualization because I went back to my childhood days Why was I such a good football player? Because that's all I thought about. Wow. Because I never saw anybody ever tackling me. I never saw missing a tackle. Because I would watch film and go, how did I do that? Because that's what I thought about my whole life. Yeah. So a part of my company is we become what we think about. Because whatever you're thinking about is what you're going to become at some point in time. Right. Right. So that, and that is neuroscience. That is reality. Definitely. Which is biblical and it's neuroscience.
1: Definitely. Yeah. I got, I got individualization towards the end of my career. Um, you know, I, I, um, met with some guys, talked with some different people, um, a life coach that I work with personally. And, um, you know, I was thinking about situations on the field that would give me anxiety leading into a game. What would I be worried about? Well, you know, as I was trying to diagnose defenses and get the protection set on third down, some of these schemes were insane. Well, I would literally, I would sit on the edge of my bed and with my eyes closed and try and put myself as close as I could into that situation, into any blitz they could get, any protection we could possibly get against that pressure, and I'd run through it in my head. To when I got in that moment, it almost felt like as that forty-second play clock was going down, it almost felt like I had five minutes at times. You know, because I had seen this, and I felt like I was there. And if we were going to play in Arrowhead Stadium, well, I'd played there before. But before we played in Atlanta's new stadium, um, I had never been in there before. Well, how do you visualize somewhere you've never been? Look at pictures of it, watch YouTube videos of entrances and whatnot, and try and get myself in that moment. Um, And, man, I I found incredible benefit from that. And now within my life, sometimes my visualization is – let me visualize myself being a very, very patient and joyful dad. Because <laughs> with a four-year-old and almost two-year-old, there's times where, like, where I feel like I fall short is on the patience meter. So, where do I want to grow to? Patience. Let's patient. Let's practice uh, visualization of me just being in that moment. And it's funny that that that's a sure sign of where my life has gone in the last couple <laughs> years.
0: Where? <laughs> well, that's part of being a great dad. Because you, you were a great football player, and you say have the same passion to be a great dad and a great husband, it's just what does that look like? Right? Where do I need to be? What does that call for? So, uh, just read Ephesians uh, chapter six, verse one through four. It talks about honor your mother and father; I'll give you a long life. So that's what you got to inspire your kids to do. But then your kids have got to inspire you and hold you accountable. Don't in, don't exasperate them. Don't bring them to anger. Don't frustrate them. And which is Ephesians 6-4. So the, those are your gr- fighting rules to being a great parent. For sure. Because I've told my boys, this is my responsibility not to exasperate you. Your responsibility is to love me unconditionally and honor me. So you hold me accountable not to exasperate you, and I'm going to hold you accountable to honor me.
1: That's great stuff. Let's, let's stay on the topic of parenting and, and your children. So Trey, your oldest is down in Nashville, and, I mean, what a story you told about him. Your your other boy Trent is playing football for the San Francisco Forty ers receiver. Um, you know, let's let's be real five eight white receiver plays at Louisiana Tech, and now he's <laughs> out. Uh, you know, he's on the team for the San Francisco Forty ers arguably the best team in the NFL right now. There's many dads with kids playing sports out there. What did you get your boys? And, and, and Trey, his other son, played college football as well. Correct. How did how did you? I don't want to say coach, but you just talked about inspiring your kids. When you brought your kids up, did they play all the sports? How did you push them, and would you push them? I don't want to say selfishly, but hey, you were uh, you played college football at Western Kentucky. You were an outside linebacker. How how did you push them?
0: Boy, that's a ooh, that's a, that's a long story. But going back to my favorite definition of a leader, cause I'm going to tie that in with my sons because yep. a leader is a person who inspires another person to take a journey that they're not going to take by themselves. Mm-hmm. I've got to be able to get people to do things that they can't do by themselves. So tying that into my kids, first of all, I came at this wild and crazy outside linebacker. Right. <laughs> when they were like three and four, I would let them fight on the basketball court. And one day I was letting them fight, and they were say, Daddy's pushing me. Well, hit him, get him. So they're fighting, which I'm sitting there proud of that. Right, till one of them jumped up in my lap. I can't remember which one it was, and one of them was shaking. And I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit in my head or what. Someone told me that's not work. That's not going to work out good for you, Craig. For sure, you may make them the meanest person there is, but that's going to bring a lot of other things, and it's going to be your fault. Now you need to fix that. So I never did that again. Even though I want them to be tough, as I told my wife, my kids are not going to walk out of my door and come back into my door going to college saying that people are mean to me. I can't do this because of this. No, they're going to walk out of my door and come back and go, oh, Dad, it's not that tough. You kind of over blew this situation. And I go, okay. Because I want them to be warriors. My mom and dad trained me to be a warrior. I wanted my sons to be a warrior. And a warrior helps people that can't help themselves. Is when I speak to football players. Uh, which is down our alley, I tell them, you want to be a warrior, you want to be Billy Bad, you go help people who can't help themselves. That's good. Yeah, you help people that everybody else is making. You step up there and tell them, not on my shift. You go tell this school, you tell this campus, nobody's picking on anybody in this place. You tell the football team's here to protect the weak and the humble. If you want to be Billy Bad, bud, that's what you're going to do today. Yeah. Be a warrior. Go be a warrior. Because a warrior's doing things that other people can't do.
1: Right. And so, did your boys play all the sports? you know they they were both successful football players? yes, they played all the sports
0: they they played all the sports shoot they played track, tennis, uh basketball, baseball, football, and uh which we started out in Corbin, playing they both played AAU basketball uh, and they played. Uh, travel baseball i think we played 60 baseball games one year when they were like eight and nine years old Ooh. yeah that was brutal
1: that's my nightmare
0: <laughs> that's it was brutal my wife is the most unbelievable person on this planet that god gave to me or or did god give me to her to teach me how to be a man so that's another story and which she just loves it and which i didn't see because i was working most of the time but uh my my boys once i learned this new definition of a leader and they became teenagers, and uh, because I was probably too hard on them, I was the crazy dad. Make a long story short, I headbutted butted my oldest son in a basketball game. Wow! Because when I tell you to do something, I want you to do that. So he make a long story short, he didn't. So I head butted him. <laughs> that's not good. No, that's not good. You, my, my wife is pretty tough, so I don't think she spoke to me for probably two days. So, but my son and I going to fast. Fast forward to his 18 years old. I started asking for forgiveness once I figured out I did something wrong. Yeah. Because every time a bad behavior came out, I always ask him, "Have you forgiven me for that? Because Daddy did you wrong at nine years old, and have you forgiven me of that?" He said, "Dad, I have forgiven you of that." Okay, let's let's talk about this behavior again. Because at the end of the day, I want my boys to be warriors for people, not for sports. Mm-hmm. But when I'm in my lower 30s and mid 30s, it's all about sports. It's about them being the best. So seeing my behavior and what it was going to do to them is make them feel unworthy. Even though they could be the best, they would feel unworthy, which that's not a good, that's not something that good that needs to be in our spirit because that is not four eight principle, pure, lovely, admirable. You know, so I I, I can't do that no more. So that's why I found this other de- definition of leader. I have to inspire them. So I came up with three rules. Once they told me, said, "Dad, you got to quit yelling at us." At her baseball games. Because I went and asked, tell me what you don't like about your dad. Because <laughs> my pastor told a story where he asked his oldest daughter that and and the results of that. He said, you want to be a man, go ask your children what they think about you. Shoot, Coach, me being a Willie linebacker, I said, send that big center around here. Send number 70 Eric Wood around here. I'm about to hit him up under the chin. Right. So I went, Bo- boys, tell me what you think about your dad. And they looked at each other and went, Okay, something's wrong with Dad. Yeah. (laughs) And they both looked at each other and said, Dad, you got to stop yelling at us. I said, that's embarrassing. So I said, okay. I said, I I can't make a promise, but I know I can't exasperate you, and you're trying to honor me and tell me what you want, so let's do this. When I start getting frustrated because you're not giving your best effort, I'm going to yell out 413. And they said, what's that? I said, that's Philippians 413. I said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. And you know that I'm trying to encourage you instead of being a crazy guy destroying you. Right. So at that point, I think they were 12, 13 years old, I started yelling out 413. And if I couldn't do that, I just went and got in the car.
1: Man, that's good stuff. Because
0: I want them to be a warrior, but I want them to be a warrior on God's terms, not GT's terms. GT's terms are not good. I have to create a warrior just like King David, just like Solomon, just like Daniel. So that's what I was trying to do. So God showed me how to do that, and I had to correct what I did wrong, then move forward with what I was doing right. But the other three things that I told them every game, and I texted to them before every high school game, college game, pro game, have fun, honor your authority, and you just be the best version of yourself that you can be. Because I don't want the pressure on them. I want the pressure inside of them. Because if the pressure's inside of them, they're going to prosper. Because I can't put into them what's in me. What's in me is in me because if I could put the pressure inside of them to know, hey, I'm free. Eric, you know what it feels like when you get free. Right. When you're playing sports or if you're in business or if you're a parent or if you're a pastor or if you're a teacher, whatever your profession is, once you get free and the pressure's from within, not without, well, your performance is going to go up by 10x. So every day, have fun, honor your authority, and be the best version of yourself and let it go. We, and if you win, it doesn't matter. Did you do those 3 things? If you did those 3 things, you're a winner. I don't care what the world says. We're worried about what God says. And if you do those 3 things for him day in and day out, he'll find you a place in this world. You'll find your place in this world.
1: That's great. I I constantly talk about how how lucky I am to be surrounded by the people I've been surrounded with. I got to learn that at a very young age I uh, say with my kids development. A uh, buddy of mine, Ronnie Cordray, who runs men's ministry at Southeast Christian in Louisville, Kentucky, he, he gave me almost the exact same blueprint for kids in playing sporting events. But you, you just map it out, and it kind of takes the anxiety away from them. And that way, if, if the kid's not playing, he's not letting down dad, well, he's, he's having a great attitude. He's having fun. He's trying his best, and he's listening to his coaches. And then that takes the pressure off because right. then that's all you got to do. And we do it with our daughter before gymnastics now. And, you know, she kind of rolls her eyes, but it's like, man, I just want to let you know that like it does not matter if you can't do what someone else can do. And at that age, you know, she's four. If there's a five-year-old in the class, that five-year-old's lived 25% more life than her. <laughs> but she doesn't get that. She's competitive right. like dad. And she'll get down and she'll, you know, worry about that. No, no, no. You just do your best, baby. And, you have fun, and you listen to your teacher, and it's all good. We'll go get ice cream or whatever, you know. No, that's right. And um, so I, I got to learn that, and we'll see when uh, my little my little boy Garrett. You know that's going to be more difficult for me because I'm going. I had the luxury of playing under so many good coaches, and I know what I want for my son, and so I, that's going to be more of a pressure situation for me because. With him, I'm I'm gonna be I'm you know I'm gonna be thinking, boy, I need to push you where you can't go, but I also don't want to fall short. I love the checking in with your kids, and my kids are probably too young for that. I don't want to ask my four year old what I'm doing wrong because she'll say <laughs> you don't let me have Doritos enough. No, yeah, right. that's right. But uh, no, I, I love that. There's a certain
0: age, and you know, and kids mature differently as well. So yeah, you'll, it, you'll find that right time,
1: brother. Yeah, so not necessarily with kids. I, I'm talking more buddies, adults, whatever it may be. I have a lot of people that will say, you know, I want I want to lose weight or I want to get stronger with my faith. I want to have a better relationship with my wife. And I'll kind of nudge them, and I can tell there's resistance. You know, when when you're in the coaching world, you know, you have a lot of people that come to you, and they, they want help. What do you – but I'm sure you have fam, family members, whatever it may be, that that you see stuff that they should improve on, need to improve on, how do you get to those people
0: coach from 24 years old getting my first leadership job to probably 37 i stressed out every day why don't these people do what i tell them to do what's so hard about this right and i gave my life to christ when i was 37 years old and uh, for two weeks i said nothing to no i own my own business at this time and i was like scared to death to do something wrong and uh one day, somebody came in. They didn't do what I told them to do, so I got a little willy linebacker jacked up, and I said, what the heck is going on? How many times do I got to tell you to do it this way? And so I walked in. And I was like, golly, I shouldn't have done that. Because uh, you want them to get it. It's right there. Are you Take another step. Right. Said, it's right there. Why can't you do that? Just do that. Do what I tell you to do. It's that simple. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit said, sit down, Greg. Let's talk. I said, let's talk. Why are you frustrated? I said, because they're not doing what I tell them to do. Okay. You think God's frustrated? I said, God created the world. Okay. Right. And he and he he gave men wisdom to write it in a book to, with a rule book. He said, have you written a Bible? I said, well, I've got some rules that I'll go by. So, but have you written a Bible of that? Ind- no, I haven't done that. So why are you frustrated? He said, oh, yeah, by the way, God sacrificed his son because he's saying, look, they can't get it. V- audio i'm gonna see if i can send my son to the earth to see if they can get it visually right okay and he said it didn't work so i said hmm i'll I'll crucify him maybe they'll understand how much i love him because i'm really frustrated right now but i really love him and i'm not going to give up on him so i'm gonna crucify my son have you crucified your son i said will you crucify your son i said probably not he said why are you
1: frustrated yeah that makes a lot of sense
0: oh at that point i That doesn't mean I don't get frustrated. That just means I'm conscious to the frustration to go, why are you frustrated? Your job is not to make them drink. My job is to get them to the river. Can I get them the truth? So I came up with my own uh, uh, leadership saying, it said, a leader is more than asking for a certain result. It is more of leading them through a process to obtain the result. Because the worst thing I hate hearing on little league fields is a coach after a game and they get beat and he tells everybody, well, I told him to catch the ball. I I told my boss that when I was 25. He asked me, did something get done? And I said, well, I told him. And he went he stood up he started clapping he's like wow you told him what to do how amazing are you to do that you're incredible oh my gosh you're the greatest leader ever you're probably going to get promoted today you told him what to do he said greg i don't want to hear you ever say that again so we will throw you out like dishwater we want people that will take ownership in that because everything rises and falls on leadership you got to get them to get it done i don't care what you told them to do and and through all those experiences i don't get frustrated i I get frustrated, I don't stay frustrated for more than, eh, don't ask my wife, it could be 20 minutes. Right. <laughs> but at some point, you gotta go, okay, because I'm trying to help people grow, and you can't grow things on an unstable ground. Right. Because if you're frustrated, that's an unstable ground. Because what they know, see, and feel about you is how they're going to be inspired. So if they feel the ground's always shaken, they can't plant their roots, and they can't create a foundation for their life.
1: That's good stuff, and you know with me it's 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 funny so my wife will say in uh, for the record she does not need to lose a pound but she'll say I want to lose five pounds and I'll say do you want Eric the captain from an NFL team to respond to this or do you want your husband that's gonna say baby you don't need to lose a pound because there's two different ways I can say okay well you um, you know you can cut sugar you could cut the soft drinks you could work out more you could intermittent fast here's a bunch of ways you could do it or I could be the other way and she'll be like Nope, I just want you to listen to me and nod your head or say, no, you look beautiful. I'll say, okay, baby, you look beautiful. You know, and, but it, and, and I use her as an example because I know she'll get a kick out of that. But, you know, I have buddies that have a in a relationship or whatever, and I constantly have to look in the mirror because I am so far from perfect. It's not even funny, but it's just my nature to want to push people but people don't always want to be pushed. And I I loved your response to that. And speaking – well, go ahead.
0: So have you learned that everybody's not like you? Yes. Okay. I I was 41, 42 when I figured that out. I'm 56.
1: Yeah, I know everyone's not like me, and that's probably good because I'm a – Anxious, high-stress, right. mind-racing, sleep anxiety. I mean, I have so many, uh, you know, flaws, it's not even funny. But uh, And
0: my wife, Mickey, would say, thank God everybody's not like you. Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> yep. So one of the biggest reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is I got the fortunate uh, opportunity to meet you last summer casually for, uh, you know, uh, we were sitting at a, a country club, you were meeting with a buddy of mine, and you rocked my world in that moment. It's part of my mission statement now, what you told me. Um, something that I, I honestly think about daily now. And this was last spring. And you I said, well, what are you doing now, Eric? I know you play pro ball. Uh, your buddy told me a little bit about you. What are you doing now? I said, well, you know, I have this podcast I'm working on. And I got a couple broadcast gigs this fall. And, you know, I own a gym in town and on a couple different boards. Um, you know, I got a couple of investments I, I spent some time with, uh, have my own foundation in Buffalo. And you asked me, are you making an impact at home first? And at that time I was so worried about what I could tell people I was doing. What was my next career move going to be? Let's not let Eric be defined by his football success. Let's try and be even more successful in my second career. And it wasn't on my radar. And and you told me that, and it honestly rocked my world. And ever since then, I've been trying to make an impact first at home. And my wife, Leslie, would tell you, you know, each week I, I check in with her. What was my score last week on a scale of 1 to 10 as a as a dad and a husband? Because I don't want to fall short. And I don't respond to her. It's just for feedback. It's not a justification process. I just want to make sure that I'm not out trying to chase my dreams and 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 ruin the best thing I got going in my life, which is my family. What where did that start for you with making an impact at home first? Because it seemed like you were speaking it from experience.
0: Golly. Well it sounds like you're a man. I mean you're you're trying to conquer the world. Right. So I'm I was I was the same way, just I still want to conquer the world. It just looks different. And uh well well. Probably the lowest of my life, which was the highest point of my life, is I told my wife that if you need to go on without me, you need to go on without me because I'm no good for you. Wow. Because I'm building my business. I'm getting mine. And and that's you telling – I'm telling
1: her – Former Miss Fitness USA drill sergeant dad. How would you know she was Miss Fitness USA? You'd never tell me that, but I did some research on you.
0: (laughs) Yes, uh, she didn't win. She came in 11th out of 99, but she was second place to the moms. She had two kids, so she was in 11th out of 99 participants, and there's only one other mother that beat her, so that's her claim to fame. She was second.
1: That is – I respect that Uh, for sure.
0: It was actually on ESPN the night the Packers and the Broncos played, and was that 98 Super Bowl? So, yeah, it's pretty – well, she's an incredible athlete. So, that's where Trent and Trey got all their balance and their and their body type, too. So, they didn't get a bulky, you know, short, stocky uh, uh, guy like me. They got more of a lean, longer muscle. So Quarterback they, and a receiver. Yeah, they look good. <laughs> Not like me. <laughs> what what were we were talking about, my ADHD took off on me. Make my an impact racing. at home. Oh, yeah. So
1: Her moving on without you.
0: Oh, yeah, that – which that night I gave my life to the Lord. So that's a that's a long story, but uh, but at some point in time you just got to look at what's important, and, uh, and and maybe that's why my business didn't work or it didn't it should have. I don't know all those reasons why things. Cause I just know that things happen for me; they don't happen to me, and that's why I want to look at life. And wow, and moving to Shreveport, Louisiana was like a spiritual journey for me, moving 820 miles away from my parents and my family and my identity and my strength. And I moved to a place where nobody knew my family and I. And uh, I think it's good because I had to learn who I was. As I said earlier, you can't manage someone and help someone until you can manage and help yourself. So that's the journey God put me on, was that spiritual journey to find out who I was. Because I was lost in getting things for me. And that wasn't good for being being an obsessive, compulsive, disorders, personality type that I got. So I had to go find a new identity. Right. And I went to Shreveport, Louisiana, and, and ran into a man called Denny Duran, and he, he was my spiritual coach. And he's, he's had one of the people that's helped me in his organization of Shreveport Community Church and Evangel Christian Academy. So just to help me identify, I'm a champion when my wife loves me. I'm a champion when my kids honor me. And that's a whole nother way of looking at doing life than the way I was doing it because I wanted to be a number one draft pick. Okay. I can do that by getting my dying for my wife and don't exasperate my children, just the way the playbook calls it. Then I can be a number one draft choice if I do it God's way.
1: Love that brother. Let's get into some recurring questions. Oftentimes I'll ask during this process, what role does your faith play in your life? But you've, You've uh, shown me through your words through this podcast and I don't even need to ask you because I know it's your foundation in life. All right. I'd because,
0: be a I'd be a wreck without it, brother. <laughs> yeah.
1: That, and and I already know. Uh, you know, m- me as well, but but your your bold witness has come through throughout the podcast. What is your favorite book? Which has to be tough with two hundred and fifty in the uh Rolodex.
0: Well, the Bible's number one. Yep. So uh which over the last 15 years I've read through the Bible four times. Wow. So when I tell people that and people that know me, they just laugh. That, you can't, you didn't do that. Oh, yeah.
1: Do you go cover to cover? Do you do a I, I plan? go cover to
0: cover, daily life application Bible. I read the scriptures. I read the daily life application. I do word studies. I write as I go through it. I write inside the, the Bible. I've given one of those to my oldest son, my youngest son. Then I'll be giving one to my uh, daughter-in-law. And I can't remember the third one I gave to. I'm going to give this next one to my daughter-in-law. Because I want them to understand the most valu- valuable thing that you have is your weapon. And that weapon is the Word of God. It will. Ch- it does not come back null and void. It will change the way you think. It will change what you believe. It will change your behavior. It will change your destiny.
1: Man, I, I love that. I love the gift idea. I've done the Bible in a Year app uh through the bible app and i've done it that way but i got nothing to show for you know i don't have notes to show for that it'd be really cool to to gift um a bible that you read straight through with the notes that you that you recorded on the i've got
0: some you know raw thoughts in there too so right so because i want them to know life is real there's struggles in life Mm -hmm. it's not a bed of roses i mean god wants us to understand how to conquer challenges because once you conquer that challenge you just moved up a step Now you can handle more. Another challenge, you moved up another step. So you can handle more stuff so you can be a better witness, so you can help people because people need help. I mean, once the society says it's our problem, then society can fix our problems instead of looking at the government to fix our problems. The government can't fix our problems. It's too big. That's what the local church is for is to take that little area of that map in that city and go, how can I have impact in this little area? And we just connect all those little churches together and bada-bing, bada-boom, and everybody's got a place to go where they feel safe and they can unload their cargo.
1: Yeah, I love that. What's your favorite restaurant?
0: Well, I'm not a food connoisseur. I look at food as something i got to do to stay alive because manage my weight because I could eat what I want. I'd probably be 250, which I'm 5'8 and 3 quarters. That's not good, Coach. Right. (laughs) So I went with my wife, Jimmy Kelly Steakhouse in Nashville, Which my wife's probably favorite place to eat is Waffle House, but I won't tell nobody. But I just did. Okay. (laughs) But Jimmy Kelly Steakhouse in Nashville is a great place to eat when you're in Nashville.
1: What was your first car?
0: My first car was a 1969 Volkswagen. Nice. It had no brakes, so you had to put brake fluid in it every morning. Every morning? Every morning. You had to make sure you had brake fluid. So I've run off the road plenty of times where I forgot to put the brake fluid in. And most times it wouldn't start, so he had to push it off and pop the clutch to start it. So most of my friends, they wouldn't ride with me because they knew they had to push me off.
1: <laughs> That's hilarious. That's You take the cake on uh, roughest first car, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Who's the most famous person in your phone? Eric Wood. No, you can't say me. Uh,
0: well, I just did. Uh, listen to your other podcasts. I prep for these, so. Yeah. So I thought about that, wow, the most famous person. Well, the the most impactful person in my life is probably my dad, which he just passed away two weeks ago. So I'll I'll plug Coach Taylor there a little bit.
1: Uh, And you know what? And as many guys that he coached, pretty famous dude.
0: Right. Well, at his funeral, people would say, here's what Mr. Taylor did. He encouraged me because I was like, we were like overwhelmed by all the people, the kids that said that he encouraged them. So, I guess I got that gift from him of being a good encourager. So, probably the most famous person would probably be George Kittle.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, he he's definitely not Eric Wood if you got George Kittle's number. That dude <laughs> so is a beast. He,
0: look, him and Trent, they trained together at Frisco before they went to the Combine in 2017. And in the day they both got uh, drafted in the Fifth round by the Forty ers so Trent and I called uh, George and his dad Bruce, so we had a little face to face conversation there. That was pretty cool, and uh, yeah, to me, and even though I know him, I just look at raw talent. If he can stay healthy, no doubt he'll be in the top five ever. He could be the best tight end ever in the NFL. He
1: is. He's playing incredible right now. He's in a great offense in Kyle Shanahan's offense. It's a very tight end friendly offense. His blocking ability, my gosh. It's not cool for tight ends to block nowadays growing up. I mean, you look at that dude. uh, I saw a highlight of him last week. He put a guy on his back about seven yards into the end zone, and after he rolled over the top of him, (laughs) the camera showed his face and he was laughing. I said, that is classic. he,
0: He loves blocking. Now, the question is, why does he love blocking? This is a lesson for all the dads out there. His dad taught him how to love to block. I'm going to plug Mr. Bruce. Okay, His dad taught him how to block when he was four years old, three or four years old. He started to teach him how to block. and Because his dad played football at Iowa back in the late 70s. Gotcha. And he, was a, he was a blindside tackle. So, George's whole life is about blocking. Yeah. <laughs> Which George was a, a late bloomer, too. So I don't know exactly the details, but I think he's like 6'3", 185, coming out of high school, wow. played free safety and a wide receiver. So he, I think, you know, he's, but he's, he's an amazing athlete. And the Kittles are just great people, so we appreciate their friendship with them. And
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, Trent, and Trent and George are just totally different people. Trent's very, very reserved. He's like his Uncle Roy and his papa Taylor. And uh, George is little – he's just a great guy. So it's always – Trent's always the sidekick to the guy with – the life of the party, because Trent's just kind of, he just he's just Trent.
1: Well, good relationships, whether it's a marriage, a friendship, a but, whatever it is, opposites attract. That's right. You know, right. as long as your That's right. value systems are in line. That's right. The personality trait, opposite personality traits. I, my wife would stay home every night of the week if I let her, and I would be gone out of the house doing something every night of the week. We balance each other out. You know, it's and it's friendships like that 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 benefit each other as well. Amen. What was your first job?
0: My first job was a lifeguarding job. So when I was, uh, what, my junior year in high school, going into my junior year, I was a lifeguard at the city pool. Nice. That's a pretty easy job.
1: Yeah, that would have been better than working at the cemetery, cutting grass like I was doing.
0: Yeah, that's pretty tough. Probably the toughest job I had was probably after my freshman year in college. I roofed houses, and uh, I basically was the crew that tore the roofs off the house shoot it was like a summer of 105 degrees and I'm little anyway so I left camp at 200 pounds I came back to camp at 190 oh and the my position coach said you'll never go home again
1: five percent body weight you lost
0: yeah, yeah. Tr- he said you're the littlest guy here now you're even l- littler he yeah. said you can't do that I was like I, I had to make some money
1: right I had to make some money so yeah I, I worked a bunch through college little odd end job security jobs here and there but the the scholarship checks weren't just weren't that much money. I paid my own car insurance and everything. Right. You know, it's just tough.
0: Well, that's a that's a discussion to get wrapped up in. I
1: know, absolutely. What's your favorite movie?
0: Uh, uh, Remember the Titans. Love that movie. Uh, they're just so, that is so rich with our culture and diversity and, and different races and different backgrounds. How one person, that leader, Denzel Washington's character, how did he do that? How did he take all of this unrest in a society and bring all those people from different parts of the world and make a championship team out of them? Now, that's a leader. Oh yeah. He got people to do stuff. He got the community to believe in. It. He got the school to believe in. It. He got the kids to. He's got the parents. All believing that well, they can win if they all just pull together. Forget all of our differences. And that's probably the biggest thing my dad taught me was respect. It's because the word respect to me – is do you show value to people? It's very simple. That person has value. Mm -hmm. I don't care who they are, where they're from, what side of the tracks, their social level, what their race is, or whatever that is. They're a human. God created them. God's got a purpose for them. I need to value that. Because if if you don't like someone, you're putting their maker in contempt. And their maker created the world. That's not a good thing to do. So let's respect each other and let's see if we can simplify what we do in America.
1: I love that. Yeah, a buddy of mine, J.R. Slaughter here in town, who I've i learned a ton from over the years, he he talks to me a lot about valuing other people, respecting other people. He, he, he will send me text messages before almost every gig I do. Good luck. He also sent me a text before every single game in the NFL and he just showed me, you know, respecting other people valuing other people because I say all that one of the lessons he taught me is just how easy it is to respond to a text message or to respond uh to give someone a call back because I had mentioned to him one time how I had gotten a bad habit of not responding to a text and then I'd get another text from him and I had to say oh I'm so sorry I've man was it was it that tough to send it in that moment it was it was great wisdom and it stuck with me still um where can people find you on social media or the Internet?
0: Uh, winning Edge, Greg, on uh, all the social media. I have my own YouTube page now, so I'm trying to build some uh, videos out there to communicate with people. And uh, uh, my phone number, Should I'll just give you my phone number. My webpage is uh, www.findyourwinningedge.com. Uh, phone number is 318-230-6481. Just give me a call, send me an email, connect with me through my webpage and see if I can help you. And and, and one of the things I've learned through this seven months of growing this business is you don't have to be sick to get better. Definitely. To get better should be just a mindset. And that's one of the biggest things one of my mentors taught me was a relentless pursuit of excellence. Just every day I'm going to get up and get better. I gotta get better. What am I gonna do today to make a difference? I always ask Trey and Trent, are you better today than you were yesterday? What did you do today to get better? And
1: uh Yeah, and I, I encourage people to to get on the website to sign up uh for the daily text messages and everything else because man there have been so many times I get a text from Greg in the morning and it's uh one of his winning edge um uh, part of his curriculum, and, man, it some of it smacks me right in the mouth with a leadership deal or a, you become what you think about, and, and I love it.
0: That's good. Thank you, Eric. You're, you're a kind man.
1: No, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time today. Um, you know, many people will benefit from listening to this, and I truly thank you for your time.
0: Thank you very much. And uh, uh, this is like been a dream, so hanging out with NFL players, that's just uh, – in my mind I still haven't comprehend that I have a son that's an NFL Yeah, player, I was
1: gonna say so. this is coming from a guy who speaks to NFL teams now I, for a living. Well, so
0: that was yes, that was another story. But yes, that was a very very grateful for the have that opportunity. So
1: definitely. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to What's Next with Eric Wood. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please rate it five stars and subscribe. That goes a long way for us with this podcast. Tune in in a couple weeks for another new episode.